0: What is up, people, and thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart, and this feels like a, a massive show today. Um, obviously, we did our podcast earlier in the week on a Sunday with, uh, with Basketball Breakdown's Coach Nick Hasselman. Um, that was fantastic. You guys should definitely check that out. If you haven't listened, there's about a 35 to 37-minute um, interview we did with him talking about all the NBA stuff. That's happened this season. That was our first sports podcast of the year. But this really, truly, not to say that I wasn't a real podcast, that was awesome and we had so much fun. This really, truly does feel like the first uh, true New Generation Sports Talk podcast. At least a traditional version of the Sports Talk podcast. Uh, we don't have any guests today. It's going to be me and Kendall rocking with you today. We got, a, we got a massive show. This really does feel like the kind of show that is warranted for your first full podcast for the new year. So, Obviously, we weren't um, here for the first week of the year, but we got some massive stories that broke since then. So, we have a new national champion in college football. The LSU Tigers uh, completed their uh, 15-0 season. So, we'll talk about where they stack up in the history of college football. Also, we got Championship Sunday. Um, I think three of the teams, we kind of expected to be there. One of the teams is a really, really big shock to a lot of people. So, we'll, we'll talk about what chance they have. And um, – and a massive scandal in Major League Baseball. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, this has uh, been a pretty groundbreaking week for MLB in well, the worst way possible, probably. So um, it should be a really loaded show. We got Flames and Trash. We got Kendall's Court. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it. Ken, Kendall joins me as well. Kendall, what's up, man? What are you looking forward to talking about today?
1: Yeah, um, nothing much, but uh, a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh Obviously, you mentioned the national championship was this week, and we saw LSU take down Clemson. So, I'm excited to talk about uh, that game, what it what this means for college football, and what it means for the NFL uh, potentially. Um, I'm also excited to talk about the NFL and the NFL postseason and how that's continuing to shape up. And, like uh, you mentioned, this baseball scandal uh some people have characterized it as the uh biggest scandal in the history of baseball um i wouldn't go that far but they're not much off when you consider the fact that the last two of the last three uh (laughs) world series champions uh are involved that's that is very very scandalous to say the least yeah we're going to talk a lot about that and um, and, and the penalties that were given out and whether or not it was
0: warranted or should they have gone even further. I'm excited okay. to hear what Ken has to say about that. But I'm going to start the show, uh, again, talking about the LSU Tigers. So, again, they completed a 15-0 season after a convincing national championship win over the defending title holders Clemson. Highland Trophy winner Joe Barrow added to his already historic season by breaking Colt Brennan's single-season touchdown uh, record, adding five more scores in the game. He finished with 60, that's right, 60 touchdowns for the entire season. Uh, about 5,671 yards passing for the overall season. Um, obviously, we know he's a Heisman Trophy winner. But, Kendall, was this the best single season by any college football player ever? And is this the best single season by any college football team?
1: Um, Was it the greatest season ever by a player? Uh. I mean, look, we have. It's always tough to measure players at different positions and who was more impactful and uh, who had better seasons um, or better careers in football because each position has their own uh, has their own ways of of kind of evaluating themselves and they're a lot of them are totally different measures. Uh, the when I look at quarterbacks, I would say absolutely. I think Joe Burrow. Um, has had the most impressive statistical season, most impressive, most dominant season ever. You know, I again I the closest the the other guy that I look at, particularly for me the one guy I look at is I will always say Cam Newton is also in that conversation. Um but Cam Newton wasn't putting up the the, the sheer numbers that Joe Burrow has. You know, Joe Burrow's playing in a video game offense but uh he's not he's not doing the Cole Brennan. I'm just gonna drop back seventy times a game and I have no running game, no running plays in the playbook, and I'm playing against a bunch of whack uh conference opponents. And no disrespect to Cole Brennan. Absolutely not. He was a he was a legend at Hawaii, but um what Joe Burrow did at the quarterback position is uh extremely impressive, uh to say the least. Um when I look at other positions, I mean, the one that really sticks out is, you know, Barry Sanders ran for 2,600 yards at uh almost 2,700 yards at Oklahoma State in his final season. Um, That's a lot, you know, and he didn't play 15 games. H- had he played 15 games, he probably would have ran for 3,000 yards. So, you know, I, that's the one where I'm like, uh, I mean, but uh, at the same time, you know, I, he didn't win the Heisman, um, so I don't believe he won the Heisman. Is, which is...
0: Did he didn't win the Heisman? That's nuts. He didn't win the Heisman.
1: I don't think he did either. Yeah, I don't think he did. And I, I like I think. Oh no, he was. He did win the. Heisman. Yeah,
0: I, I thought. I, yeah, I thought he did. That, yeah. yeah, that sounds too crazy. Even.
1: <laughs> yeah, two twenty three hundred I know, I know, I know. You know, Jim Brown. You know, didn't win the Heisman, which yeah, Marshall Falk is who I'm thinking of. He yeah. did not win. The Heisman. But uh, but I believe Barry Sanders team. I want to say he won. He didn't win that many games. Though. Um, which is less surprising. I could also could be wrong about that, but um point being though like he didn't win a national championship i can tell you that for a fact and you know that's what joe burrow did is he won the heisman had all the statistical numbers and he won the national championship there's, there's not really anything to pick any holes in his in his season you know james winston had a great year cam newton had a great year at the quarterback position but those guys didn't put up the sheer passing numbers that joe burrow did so i i would say so and lsu as a team um In the modern era, I would say this has been the most impressive season, considering when you think about all the name-brand opponents that they beat. You know, like, when we look back 15 years from now, we're going to say this LSU team beat Texas, beat Georgia, beat Alabama, beat Clemson, beat uh, Oklahoma, beat Texas A&M. I mean, these are all the best teams in the South, some of the best programs in college football and they beat them all. I mean, these, I mean, we're talking about not only those programs and their names, but we're talking about multiple and Florida, by the way, I didn't mention Florida, but uh, we're talking about multiple, uh, the entire preseason top four uh, consisted of those, uh, those programs. And we're talking about multiple preseason top ten, top fifteen teams. So, yeah, I think this was the most impressive.
0: Um, I'll make the case that uh it's funny. I think the case for LSU having the best season is probably a little easier than Burrow because I think with LSU, I think you make a good point that errors are different. So how we quantify numbers is different, and how the, the game is played is different. And I think you make a good point about you know the positions like. You know, I can't think of a great offensive lineman, but who would say that, like, you know, some dominant, dominant offensive lineman didn't have the greatest season ever. I mean, he can't affect it so much, but it, he could have been that dominant where he was, you know, whatever. So it's, it's kind of weird, um, though. I think he has a great case, 60 touchdowns. I don't care how many games he plays, touchdowns is nuts. Uh, and I think the degree in which he dominated against such high level competition speaks to um, just how fantastic he played this year. So I think Burrow has a case. I think the case for LSU is the best season ever. I think, though, it's more, a little more solid because you, you mentioned all those key wins. And what's impressive to me is, you know, you had six wins in the top, which ended up being the final playoff rankings of the top 13 teams. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, they beat half of the top 13 teams in college football during the season. And what's interesting about it to me is these games really weren't that competitive. Like, some of these teams, they blew the teams off off the field. Even the games that were competitive, LSU had big leads, and the game really never was in doubt. The only game, really, that was like that was Auburn. Every other game, they were in control, even if the final score suggested the game was not as much of a blowout as maybe it seemed. So, I would argue that this could very well be the best season, um, I, you know, you know, everybody who listens to the show knows I am a diehard Miami Hurricanes fan, and I will always argue that the Kings are the best team. But when we're talking about best season. I don't know a team that could put together a resume of that many wins against top-notch opponents and that much sheer domination of top-notch opponents and argue that they, that somehow, uh, they were, uh, better in terms of just like the season performance. I think that I, I would, I would say LSU right now was the best. You know USC in two thousand was it five when they beat uh, Oklahoma? That season yeah. comes to mind. Even Texas in 20, 2006, the following year. I mean, that was an incredible Shoot, season. USC in '06, man, they lost. That was that a, a team. Yeah, I mean to beat that team, which everybody thought was maybe the best team ever. Ever, I think one of the only teams that does have a case did
1: have a case. I feel uh, like USC in six reminds me of the Kentucky team that lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four, where it's like. You almost have to bring them up as one of the greatest teams of all time, even though they didn't win a national championship. Yeah, it should be.
0: I agree with that, and to me, it's how teams should also uh, talk about 2002 Miami when they lost back-to-back. It was the same situation. They were undefeated. NFL players were all over the place. Nobody thought they were beatable, and then they got beat, but I mean, that's still one of the best teams ever. And it's a continuation of the team before them, which was also, you know, arguably, I, I don't think it's arguably, but in my opinion, the greatest team ever. So, Uh, I gotta say, man, I I gotta give a massive shout out to Coach uh, Ed Orgeron. Um, People who have listened to this show, we've talked about Ed Orgeron a lot. We've argued about him a lot on this show. Um, I think, I thought at the time, I think it today, I think USC now look like complete clowns for passing up on Ed Orgeron as their head coach.
1: Now that's the question, EJ, because some people are making the case, and you know me, I was, I did not feel at the time. I feel you thought there was no way they should have hired him. I thought it would have been a bad hire. Yeah. Hiring Edward Dron, keeping him, retaining him at USC. I thought of it would been a mistake. I'll put it out there for the people that don't remember. But, and I didn't really love the coach Oda LSU hire. So, you know, I'll put that out there as well. Um, but there, and I, I will admit that I was completely wrong about that. But with that being said, there are people out there that feel like this would not have happened at USC. Like, yeah. it they wouldn't have gotten to this point for whatever reason, whether it be a bad fit, whether it be bad administration, bad program, bevy of reason. Yeah, I disagree. I think that those people are are, are badly
0: mistaken here. And here's why. One, when he was at USC, remember USC looked like they were at their lowest point. They, they unceremoniously fired Lane Kiffin, who um who had started season now. three, who had started season three and two. Um the team was a complete mess. And uh they were coming off a year where they only went seven and six. Orgeron comes in and takes them to six and two. They go to the Rose Bowl. They, I believe, win the Rose Bowl. Oh no, sorry, they didn't go to the Rose Bowl. They won the loss. They went to the Las Vegas Bowl. They won their Las Vegas Bowl. They finished with ten wins. And the atmosphere, the vibe around the team was just totally different at the time. There was optimism. There was. Uh, you know, this thought that maybe they had turned the corner a little bit, at least, or at least we're heading in the right direction. And the thing about Coach O, I think a lot of people don't, didn't give him enough credit for, and didn't really give him a chance of, is, okay, He no one says that thinks that he's this, you know, great tactician, this X and O mastermind. But to me, at a program like USC, at a program like LSU, of course, you would love to have people who can win the game. You know, from an X and O standpoint as a head coach. But a lot of those programs with the money and resources that they have, you can hire the right coordinators, the right position coaches, the right recruiters to um, to still compete at a high level on an X and O standpoint. What you need is a CEO type of, or of, of, of personality that can bring energy, and energize the fans and energize high school recruits. And make your destination a, um, a, 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 a a a engaging one, and one that uh, people will be attracted to to, to attending. And coach, oh, even when he was even when he struggled at Mississippi, he was able to do that. The problem was he, he couldn't really coach X and O's. And while he recruited well, that's he was so strong, he couldn't overcome Mississippi's you know obvious you know. Issues, You know, Ole Miss is not LSU, it's not Alabama. He wasn't a great enough coach to overcome those issues. But USC, that, you hand him his personality, the way he can recruit, the way he energizes people, the way he motivates his team, motivates his players, you put that personality at the top and gave him the kind of money that LSU gave him to hire the the right assistants, it was was money. I mean, I I hate to say that I saw this coming, but I really did feel like LSU— with Ordron could be a a massive threat. I didn't see fifteen 0 coming, but did I think they could be national championship contenders again? Yes, because I just saw it with Les Miles. Les Miles, similar guy, and and they had lost the energy and lost the excitement around the program. And Les Miles, I think, got um, less creative in terms of how he was putting his team together, and therefore that's why they had to move on. Ordron came in with a, you know bright eyes, you know you know you no know, open mind, and he decided we're going to play a new style, a new brand of football. We're going to take advantage of these athletes that we have that we're bringing in that are five-star and four-star players. We're going to let them run. We're going to throw the ball down the field. We're going to be exciting. And that and he's an exciting person. So that created a firestorm uh, around this program that brought a lot of kids to the, to the team. And, of course, he's put together an excellent staff that has developed players, that some players that were unheralded that ended up becoming stars on this team. Um, like a Joe Burrow, for example, uh, they've also he's also put together a great staff in terms of not just X and O's, but developing the talent. And now you have this perfect storm. I think USC not seeing the forest through the trees and looking at Clay Helton because they thought te- tacti- tactically he was better. It didn't see that he brought no excitement, no energy, and no leadership. It was a mistake. I don't Look, see. I think healthy. that. You, I think that USC. I don't. Think, I don't know. I I don't know if they win. USC wins fifteen games. I don't know anybody who's arguing that USC wouldn't be a top program under Ed Orgeron. I think it's just flat wrong. I don't yeah, know how, like, the evidence that. shows that to me that they they are likely wrong. LSU and USC can get comparable talent. If Coach O was given the same opportunities at
1: USC, why would it have been any different? It's a, it's a lesser conference. It would have been easier to compete. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I would have been, I, I was the first person saying that the Clay Helton hire was, was one of the worst possible hires USC could have had. Uh, given that I was not even a fan of Ed Orgeron, I would rather add him than Clay Helton. But um, if you hire Ed Orgeron, like they, the recruiting problems they have now, I mean USC is one of the worst, has one of the worst recruiting classes in the country for a Power Five school. Which is like when I mean, one of the worst it's like one of the bottom five yeah. <laughs> or ten of the sixty-something schools in the Power Five, in the Power Five conferences. Um, it is one of the worst and. That wouldn't happen with Edward Drum. You know, he's too much of a personality. Some people felt he's too much of a, he's too kind, he's too southern, he's too, he's not Hollywood, he's not West Coast elite, you know, like it's a different, it's a different lane, but he, he's navigated it before. You know, that's what people have to realize is that this isn't like complete fish out of water. He's at USC with Pete Carroll, he's at USC with Lane Kiffin. He was the head coach for a short period of time, he did very well. It probably would have worked, but, um, obviously that's a what if um but you have to feel like now LSU uh the question though you have with LSU is were they are they now a one were they a one hit wonder you know you would lose Joe Burrow you lose Joe Brady which is probably even more uh unfortunate <laughs> than even Joe Burrow graduating Joe Burrow graduating was always going to happen but at some point happened now it's unfortunate but at least you got you won the national championship but you to have that sustained success you need to you know limit coaching staff turnover you lose Joe Brady um it's going to be tough to sell kids to consistently be able to come to LSU at least on the offensive side of the ball uh that was a major blow yeah i mean Brady
0: going to the Panthers that's 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 definitely a blow but in some ways i feel like the damage was done like i feel like now, can now in terms of an X no standpoint of sustaining the amount of success on the field, yeah, there's there's gonna be you know an, an issue potentially. But in terms of the excitement around the program, all kids got to do is just see a Twitter video of you know Odell Beckham dancing with them and giving the guys money on the on the field and be like, I don't <laughs> care, I don't care who's coaching, I'm playing for that team. Like yeah. in some way, what Brady already brought them is already. Gonna be they, they're going to be living off of that for at least right, a year like, or two. It's like, just a matter like of them sustaining that success.
1: But the guys that went to Memphis, because Derrick Rose went there. Exactly. They had nothing to do with Perry, had nothing to do with, you know, <laughs> Josh Pastner. But, you know, Derrick Rose meant so much to that youth, and that that's, that could represent what Joe Burrow is going to be for quarterbacks now going to LSU. And one last thing on Coach O,
0: not to beat a dead horse in the USC thing, but I thought one of the – also the huge issues why they, they screwed that up was – Coach O was the was the really one of the last connections to the Pete Carroll years. A lot of people forgot that he was with that Pete Carroll staff during that run, and and how they kind of came up into becoming what they eventually became as you know this dominant force. And the fact that they they, they didn't value that, and, and and decided to go with someone new who didn't know what that those Pete Carroll years were and how they amassed that success um that that was that was a, See, know, I think
1: that i mean i agree with you but like from their perspective they just went through their clown lane kiffin also from the peak era so they were just like you know what this isn't working we gotta we gotta start fresh hiring clay helton is not starting fresh because he was a lane kiffin guy but-, but like the problem with lane kiffin though was that we had already seen him as a head coach that, I mean, they that, that that saw Ed Orgeron as a head coach, and he wasn't—he wasn't that good either. No, but they saw him as a head coach at USC. Well, yeah, like, me that
0: that's—that's like, that, that's a difference. Like with Lane Kiffin, they saw him fail somewhere else, and then they were just taking a flyer. Like with Orgeron, yes, he failed at Mississippi, but they saw him at USC in one season after well, the, he, the mess that you just that, described that, with Lane Kiffin already
1: turning around and didn't value and didn't... And that's, yeah, that's the that that's always the conundrum. Is like, how much do you value what a guy does in his interim, in his interim
0: role? Man, you that USC team was trash. Going 6-2 and two with that team, with the way they looked at the start of the season. That, and I remember yeah. when it happened. Dude, it wasn't a small feat. It was very yeah. impressive. And you know. for a kid, I mean, not a kid, but for a man who badly wanted that job and wanted it so much to set on Helton, who had no connection to what, what the what you the USC greatness and the USC lore of you know the Trojan dynasty with Bush and Liner and to, to and and how much Ed Orgeron was a big factor in that <laughs> like that was um that was again I can't stress enough that was a mistake but um I, to me I think what's interesting is will this end up being a passing of the torch you No, know, was uh you know LSU taking out you know Alabama during the regular season and seeing like you know we're seeing Saban watching that game salt all salty on the sidelines. Seeing them, you know, take apart Clemson after what Clemson has done over the last uh, few years, like is LSU now the big dog, and, that, the and big that's, dog that's in the yard, true. or is this a flash in the that's pan? True.
1: I could, I feel like and we'll probably do a YouTube video on this very soon, but I feel like Joe Burrow is like I mean he's the best quarterback prospect I've seen in a long in a long time. Maybe he's the best quarterback prospect I've ever, I've ever seen. So. Uh, at least coming out of college uh, in terms of how polished he is, um, replacing that guy is going to be very, very tough. And I don't mean replacing him just next year, but replacing that guy over the next four or five years. Like, you're not going to get another Joe Burrow, uh, you would think. You know, Oklahoma's done it year after year. <laughs> Who'd new quarterback being a Heisman Trophy candidate? But um, that's going to be the conundrum, is going to be the quarterback position. It was the conundrum before Joe Burrow, now they're gonna have to see can they do it post Joe Burrow? Is this a new LSU uh, brand of football, or are they gonna kind of revert back to the program that can't find a quarterback? Because you know Joe Burrow wasn't highly touted. I mean, wasn't highly touted coming out of high school. wasn't highly touted after transferring from Ohio State. Um, they have. It's not like they have a bevy of you know five star quarterbacks sitting behind Joe Burrow. You know so. They could end up being a spot for a grad transfer uh, next season, but that's going to be the the question. We know Alabama is always going to have top five recruiting classes, always going to have top five stars at the quarterback position. We know uh, Clemson and Georgia and Ohio State have been setting themselves up to be those kind of programs as well. Can LSU kind of sustain themselves at that level as well? They were able to this year in part because Joe Burrow was so amazing if Joe Burrow, you replace Joe Burrow with Joe Schmo at quarterback, this team, I don't think, won the national championship. That's how good he was. But um, but I don't know. You also have some people saying Joe Burrow is a system quarterback. So I, I, who knows? I mean, now you lose the system as well, which also hurts. But uh, they also got Joe Burrow. Coach O found Joe Brady out of nowhere. So is it impossible he finds someone else that can also run a similar offense? Not impossible.
0: Yeah, in terms of, you know, how great a prospect he is, I mean, to me, I think of Andrew Luck and Cam Newton in recent years as um, elite prospects. Peyton Manning, I know you didn't see Peyton Manning, but I barely saw Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning certainly up there. Um, but I tell you what, he's 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 up there. I mean, again, um, I, I think that, I agree, I think that he was kind of a, just a kind of phenomenon for this team. And, uh Look, they have outstanding athletes and the amount of times they just win one on one matchups, yeah, that, that helps the quarterback a great deal. But also how many times you see Joe Burrow extend a play and just throw a ball on a dime to a guy and, and like are these passes where like he's just throwing the ball so accurately into tight windows and you're just like the only place that could ball could have been pit, been pit to been put rather, um, he's placing the ball in just, just easily, consistently, um should have could another quarterback have
1: taken the team that championship? Maybe, but I don't know if they would have done it with it in the my dominant line. way that that Burrow did. And we, you know, I and look, I love Coach O. You know, I was not a huge fan of him, but I think he's done an excellent job, and I think he's a great football coach. But with that being said, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but when you mention Cam Newton, is, I mean, is there a chance Coach O could end up wind, could wind up like Gene Chizik? I thought about that. Because Joe Burrow was so good, and Cam Newton was so good, is it? And, and in some ways, up, is Joe Brady the
0: Gus Malzahn? Right. Yeah, I thought about that. Um, no, because I think that Gene Chizik, um, was not a great leader or did not excite anyone. Right. He was didn't just. Didn't know how to run a football program. Yeah, now. he was just a guy. Like to me, like if you, I know you, you watched that Auburn team. I watched that Auburn team. Like. Gene Chizik was like always the last story. Like no one ever <laughs> thought about him. He was right. just a guy. He could have been anybody.
2: Like right. he literally could have been
0: anybody. Yeah, no one cared really, about. We talked right. about Gus Malzahn during that time more than we talked about the head coach. Yeah. Like he he literally could have been anybody, and he never he never um kind of imposed his will or imposed his personality on anything. So when it fell apart, it kind of made sense because you were like, I mean. He had a great coordinator, and then he lost him. And he had a great QB, and then he lost him. And he just was the... All he was was a head coach at Iowa State, and we really don't know how great he really is. Yeah, maybe he's getting exposed now. Like, Coach O, he he, he is the man at LSU. I mean, he is a high-end trophy-winning quarterback that we're arguing is the best QB prospect we've seen in years and maybe have had the greatest season of all time. Yet, we spent almost as much if not more time talking about the head coach than we talked about him yeah that says that, a, that says no, a no, great that, deal had, his whole Heisman speech was centered around that coach <laughs> and that that means a lot to me like I don't know I, I had to look at Cam Newton's speech again but again I I remember that time like Jean Chiswick was just an anonymous guy like uh, you know I'm not trying to trying to bury him but like there was nothing about him that was ever interesting like he did a very good job I mean anytime you went that championship you know You deserve all the credit in the world. He did a very good job leading um, that team that had pretty much no NFL players on the offense except for Cam Newton to a national championship, and he did a great job in that season, but I don't think that he was special in any way. Uh, Any decent football coach, I think, would have maneuvered that situation because Cam was such a force of nature, and that defense was so good. This is entirely different. Like You get the feeling that the, the energy they get and the inspiration that they get as a whole team, not just... Burrow, not just the offense but the defense as well it all comes from a swagger that starts with their head coach the swagger and stuff that auburn had came from cam that's a, that's a major difference so it's a fair question because the track records are similar but i don't think that we'll have another gene chiswick situation
1: interesting yeah I, I i mean i tend to agree the gene chiswick situation like was very much a uh, that was a, a he struck lightning with Cam Newton obviously, and yeah, I mean I think Coach O struck lightning with Joe Burrow uh, as well. But Joe Burrow also took a massive leap under Coach O that we can't also forget. Like Gene Chizik got Cam Newton out of junior college, and I mean he may have taken a leap from Florida, but got Cam Newton relatively unknown out of junior college, and you know <laughs> the guy was obviously extremely special. Um, it's funny how. Urban Meyer coached both Joe Burrow and Cam Newton, and both ran them out of town. That's it's not good on his track record. Wait, 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 who? Wait, say that one more time? <laughs> no, I'm like, it's not great that Urban Meyer coached uh, Cam Newton and oh, Joe yeah, Burrow. that's true. Ran them both out of town. I mean, Cam Newton Well, Cam to- ran himself out of town, fair. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. We're going to keep it a complete buck. <laughs> but, you know, didn't... He had both of them on, on campus, and... You know, two of the greatest SEC quarterbacks we may have ever seen on campus and uh, didn't really get to coach either one of them. Yeah. Um, let's head to the NFL,
0: though because championship week is here. we got the Titans, who have shocked everyone, especially after their, their shocking win um, against the Baltimore Ravens last week and eliminating Lamar Jackson, his squad, uh, on the road. The Titans will remain on the road. They'll travel to KC to take on the Chiefs um meanwhile aaron Rodgers brings his packers back home to his home state of california to battle uh the 49ers so kendall what is your top storyline heading into championship sunday
1: uh my top storyline heading into championship sunday um for me it's got to be the AFC championship game and Obviously, you have that that loss that the Chiefs or not the Chiefs, but the Ravens suffered to uh, the, the Tennessee Titans, which ended Lamar Jackson's season. Um, that is something that is going to be uh, interesting to follow during the off seasons. You know, Lamar Jackson's kind of road to redemption after what was a very embarrassing loss. But Patrick Mahomes has a real chance to cement himself as the best quarterback in the league like consensus like by far this season because it's unfortunate he can't do that against Lamar Jackson but look this Tennessee defense just stifled that Baltimore offense last week um and if he's able to light them up the way he lit up Houston in three quarters throwing what 50 51 um Against that that Houston defense, uh, if he does that next week, and they can go on to potentially win a Super Bowl against maybe Aaron Rodgers, uh, it could be Jimmy Garoppolo as well. But and that's a really good San Francisco defense. So either way, he has a chance to really do something special. So uh, for me, that's that's my storyline uh, for this th- this week and really going forward. Uh, and I also want to see. How what can Derrick Henry do? You know how special can he be? I'm I'm gonna be watching the AFC Championship game, very closely. Yeah, for me, I gotta. That's why that
0: last question is that last answer rather is why I would say it's gotta be um, it's gotta be the Titans. Um, This has been a a remarkable run. I mean, I don't think that any I, I certainly didn't predict that they would uh they would knock off the Pats and the Ravens in back to back weeks and to beat the Ravens last week in just convincing fashion. What I love about this team, man, is they embrace playing an old-school brand of football at a time where pretty much no one is playing like this. We talk about how the NFL's game changed. We talked about how the NBA has changed, and both have changed to benefit the rules of high-octane offense. And They changed because of the rules that are now benefiting high-octane offense. The fact that you have a team like the Titans, that decide they're gonna play field position football. They're gonna uh, uh, milk the clock. They're gonna run the football. They're gonna play a physical brand of defense. Like I, I be on, I'll be honest. I didn't know a team playing like this could get this far at this point. I didn't think that that could happen because passing is just so much of a better option <laughs> than playing what the Titans do for so many teams. Just the way the teams are built, just the way the rules are built, that it didn't make sense to play that way. So to see the Titans, Derrick Henry running the rock the way he is, uh, Mike Vrabel just coaching just masterful, masterful game plans. I mean, I think he severely outcoached John Harbaugh last week. And he also really outcoached Bill Belichick the week before. I thought last week was ridiculous, though. I mean, I thought John Harbaugh coached. If it wasn't for Bill O'Brien, who I don't know what the hell he was doing. If it wasn't for him, John Harbaugh coached the worst playoff game I've seen in a long time. So, and yeah. not to just not to take away from Vrabel, I thought Vrabel on the flip side, the game plan they had for Lamar, um, again, the way they used the clock, the way they used field, time of possession, the way they used uh, uh, ball control, it was just it was it was it was so well done. So, they're my top storyline just to see if they can now take that one more that 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 strategy one more time on the road against another high octane offense, as offense that just put up fifty points, forty one unanswered against the, the Texans. Is that going to work again? I, I want to say no, because I'm like, I just can't see how you could beat the Chiefs like that for a third week after already beating the Pats and Ravens. But at the same time, they just beat the Pats and Ravens that way. So why would I suggest that they can't do that? You know, I think the only difference with this matchup and why I, I, I'm more um, apprehensive is saying that they can do it for a third week in a row is because I think the... Ravens outside of Hollywood Brown, they don't have the kind of speed on the outside that the Chiefs present. And the the, the Pats have no speed on the outside, really. At least no one that's credible. That's credible speed, you know, or, or you know, credible as, a, as an outside threat. This is a different team because the Chiefs have so many guys who can stress the field. And a quarterback, not to say that Lamar can't throw, I would never say that. But uh, Mahomes is a special kind of thrower and a guy who can really take advantage of mistakes. So your ball, your your game plan has to be airtight, or else they're going to murder you, as we saw uh, what happened with the Texans. So for that reason, you know, I think I'm leaning Chiefs this week. But the storyline, I think, definitely is the Titans. And, and in regards to the um to the Packers and the and and the Forty Niners, it's funny because the last time we saw these two teams play, the Packers just did not look at all ready for the moment. And the Packers might be the weirdest thirteen and three team. I've ever seen. Because they're 13-3. and three. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. One of the greatest of all time. Definitely one of the greatest I've ever seen. And I still have a little bit of doubt about how good they really are. <laughs> like, it's crazy because they're one game away from the Super Bowl. At a certain point, I have to just assume that this team is really good. But last week, they got out to a strong lead. And then you kind of saw Russell Wilson slowly bring the Seahawks uh, the back in that game. So the Green Bay offense stall for a long period of time, as they tend to do. And it's like how many times you're going to see that kind of same pattern where maybe the Packers start off strong and then they look awful for like two or three quarters. And then they do enough to kind of finish the game. Winning is all that matters. And teams that can close games, you know, that's a sign of, of being a strong team. So I, I do get that. I don't want to just completely poo-poo that. But. I just, to me, I feel like the Forty ers are legitimately a, a, a really, really great team, and I, I, something, something about me still worries that the Packers may be fools gold.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm never gonna give the Packers too much credit, but uh, they've, they've, they've navigated, uh, well, at least they navigated well last week. Um, against a tough Seattle team. Um. Russell Wilson played tremendous yeah and you know they just it's tough to go to Lambeau field and win um and that's what uh Seattle uh, San Franciscos gonna have to do uh but I do feel like San Francisco is a team that's better equipped to win in those kind of games than Seattle is uh I you know you look at even this is against a much worse opponent but we looked at the win that San Francisco had against Washington early in the year where the field was almost literally unplayable you really couldn't throw the football, and they slugged out a, a, a really hard fought but uh, low scoring win. And I'm then it's not going to be like that. I would imagine it's not going to be that bad. But the, the, regardless of what the conditions are, this team can can still pull out victories given the defense, uh, the pass rushing. Um, you know, even I mean again. I mean, I would imagine Brian Bulaga is going to play this week, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. what condition is he going to be in? You know, there's a lot of a lot of factors that you we have to consider with this Green Bay offense, but um, should also be a good game. And I
0: think the matchup between Devonte Adams and Richard Sherman really is he couldn't yeah. be the ball game. I mean, Sherman uh, is still at the top of his game, and he's not afraid to let everybody know about it, as we heard him after the game um last week in which he had another pick and he, he pretty much blanketed uh his side of the field. But Devontae Adams also against you know obviously a much worse Seattle secondary, a team that's defensively had trouble all year. Devontae Adams was pretty much uncoverable in his in his matchup. So to me if the if the Packers could find a way to win some on that matchup and, and get some big plays, then things will look good for them. But uh you're right, they're gonna need Balaga with with you know Nick Bosa in that pass rush and, and, and the kind of um, problems their defense presents. I'm a, I'm going to say the I'm going to say the 49ers win this. I, I I again, something about the Packers offense to me still doesn't look 100% right and it's too late in the season for me to decide now I've, I'm going to believe in them. I think that to to beat the 49ers, I think you do have to play great offense for pretty much four quarters. The only team I've seen do that is the Saints. I literally saw the Packers play them and got they got ran off the, the, the field. I don't think it will be like that, but I do think that they'll struggle to consistently sustain drives And this 49ers offense, which is not necessarily they're not the greatest show on turf, but they, they'll be able to do enough to, to, to squeak this one out. So I got um, Chiefs. I got Niners in my Super Bowl. Is that also how you're going with this? Um,
1: I hope that's the case, but I'm going to go with – uh. Green Bay and Kansas City. Really? Do you
0: still have questions about Garoppolo? Do you still feel like at the end of the day, uh, Garoppolo if it gets, over, over A Rod yeah. is, is.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the thing. If, we, if it gets to a tight game in the fourth quarter, like San Francisco's got to get up big early and make it a, a an almost insurmountable deficit for Aaron Rodgers. Right. Because um, I, I just feel like in a tight ball game and look, We've seen Garoppolo go tit for tat with uh, Drew Brees yeah. on the road yeah. and win. So it's not like you know he hasn't proven himself in those kind of games yet. But uh, and that was a huge game, a swing game for both teams. But and given that win, is the reason why New Orleans isn't there anymore. Yeah, no yeah. Anymore, <laughs> is exactly. But, so that was a huge game. Um, but with that being said, uh, I would still I. I'd, Aaron Rodgers is – I'm always picking Aaron Rodgers in that in that matchup. And I think these teams are closely comparable enough to where being at home – I, and also, Rodgers hasn't been there a long time. And I just feel he seems like the type of guy that I, I think that's wearing on him. I think this is – we're seeing the best of Aaron Rodgers in, the, in in this season, especially recently. He's been on fire. I'm just going to – I'm going to ride with uh, A-Rod. One thing
0: I will say is uh, I do think Jimmy G has played much better this week. Last week he was pedestrian, and he was allowed to be pedestrian because his defense dominated, and Tevin Coleman and uh, and Rasheed Moser were just were just running the ball uh, so effectively. The Packers defense, the Vikings defense is really good, but the Packers defense is also really really good, and I I don't think he can play that poorly because I think one, the Packers defense will not let them get run over like that. And I don't think that uh, Rodgers will be so inept the way Kirk Cousins was. Like, I think their offense has issues, and I don't think that they'll be able to consistently score. But Rodgers will, will put some pressure on the, 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 the 49er defense, and he will make some plays. So Garoppolo, 11 for 19, 131 yards, that's not going to get it done. Um, there's no way that's going to get it done in this week against Green Bay. And I would argue that I think Tannehill is facing the same, um, the same challenge. Uh, two back-to-back weeks where you pretty much throw them for like less than 100 yards. I mean, that's that's just not gonna get it done against Patrick Mahomes. I don't care how good your defense is. I don't care how good your running game is. You're gonna have to make way more plays, I think, to to win. And both guys have shown they're capable of doing it from time to time. So who's to say you know one game elimination that they can't put together uh, a big game? But I do have I do have my doubts. Um before we get to to Flames and Trash Kendall, we do got to talk about this massive baseball scandal. So, um Oh,
1: for that I, yeah. I wanted to ask you um of all the 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 coaching hires that we see seen in the NFL, uh we had uh Mike McCarthy go to Dallas, Ron Rivera go to Washington, uh Joe Judge ended up in New York with the Giants. Yes. Uh Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland and am I missing one? Oh, and Matt Rule, I believe that. I believe that was the other mm-hmm. one. I think that's all of them. Which Which of those were you? Uh, which of those are you, are you highest on? Which of those are you lowest on? Um, um,
0: highest right now to me, I think it's gotta be Matt Rule. When you consider he's bringing uh, he's bringing Joe Brady with him now. I know Joe Brady's a college coach. We only got we only got one <laughs> year of jump, man. Yeah, we got one year of of evidence of what he can do and it was as a passing game as a passing game coordinator
1: um this guy i mean he worked for the saints for a year he was like me i know (laughs) know, i I mean am i gonna be an offensive coordinator hey man hey don't 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 set
0: your sights too low man
1: you never know he's a very low level saints assistant um to now end up being the offensive coordinator of an NFL team should be very interesting. You know, this could go one of two ways. And I've I, I've said uh after having worked in the NFL for a season that you it doesn't take much to be a coach. And that that sounds like disrespectful to the to the to the job, but not to say that it's easy, but you don't have to be Mr I've been in the league for fifty years. Yeah if you
0: put the work in in terms of learning the game. Yeah
1: if you put is. the work in and you're really smart like you can, I mean, you can be a coach. Like if you just memorize a playbook in, in inside it out, and you just have a great feel for calling plays and coaching players, uh, and you just can lead. And Joe Brady has a lot of those qualities. Um, whether or not that translates to the NFL, I mean, he's been destroying, dicing up college defensive coordinators. Can he do it in the NFL? That's gonna be a question mark.
0: Yeah. So I think I just think rule. I know again, Brady. I know Brady is is. Uh, unseasoned and, yeah. and, and whatever but i i just think that again there's excitement around the panthers now i think him and rule are a good match i think that that will help him a lot honestly i know rule is a is a rookie coach as well coming from college but i think that their office of minds together could, would really help each other out instead of one guy coming in as a first-time coordinator um by himself you know with the nFL coach saying all right kid go out there mm-hmm. and just call the offense i'm going here like the fact that he'll have an offensive head coach also with him and I think Rule will be able to bounce his you know offensive schemes off of a guy like Brady I think they'll, they'll be a good match so I'm mean, most excited about them uh, I'm mean, honestly I think almost all the other ones are not that exciting but I think the one that I'd be most concerned about is the Giants I don't say that in the Bible for any malice as a Jets fan because you know because I, I don't just root against the Giants but I just think Joe Judge just just and you're not trying to win headlines. That's not what you're trying to do when you're trying to be a win you know, higher heckler. You want to get the right guy who's going to prove the most wins. I just don't see the level of evidence to suggest that Joe Judge is going to bring that to the New York Giants. And I wasn't all that impressed by his press conference again. Maybe it doesn't mean that much. Probably doesn't mean that much. But you're telling me that you know, we're going to practice in pass. we're going to tackle and train and practice. Like you're just lying to the fans. Like the NFLPA will never allow that. Like he's just saying like this tough guy stuff that he can't back up that will only piss off the players. Like, and I'm not saying that the team doesn't necessarily need doesn't need a kick behind because I would argue maybe they do. They're a young team in a lot of ways, and a lot of guys who haven't proven much. So maybe they do need a coach that kind of come in and and really you know instill impose his will and impose his his personality onto the team. I do think that he's got that going for him. I just think the tough guy act I don't get. I don't want to just dismiss being a special teams coordinator because John Harbaugh has been great. And I actually have heard a lot of people make the case for why special teams coordinators are actually really good fits as head coaches. So I don't want to completely just dismiss that at all. But until I have a better idea of who his staff is going to be, I don't know. I, 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 I have questions. You know, he's hiring Patrick Graham to run the defense. I don't have anything really to say about him as like, you know, a defensive guru. That defense, the Giants defense was so bad that to me, like, I want to hear about a guy who's, who's put together, you know, top-notch defenses, and I really haven't seen that from from Graham. In fact, he's seen, he, he saw one of the worst defenses last year with the with the Dolphins, albeit they did improve. So, I, I would say the Giants are my top team, but I think I think the Browns, uh, Stefanski, not that exciting. His offense, like, they had no chance against the 49ers. McCarthy is like McCarthy. He he could work out. I don't know, but I, I
1: I'm just not not all that thrilled. Yeah, that that's where I'm going. Not McCarthy, but um, Kevin Stefanski as the worst for me. Uh, and that's it, it's. And I'll be very careful because I don't think that Stefanski is. I mean, look, I'm a Vikings fan, so Kevin Stefanski's done an excellent job in uh. Pushing this Minnesota offense forward after you know the the mess that was the John D. Filippo offense, um, we've seen I've seen this twice now as a Vikings fan. First, it was North Turner and the mess that that offense was, and going to Pat Shermer and seeing what he did. Uh, and then Pat Shermer went to the Giants, did not go well. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, well, no, then John D. Filippo comes in, replaces Shermer, the offense. Uh, the train wreck again. Uh, we asked we ask him after one year, uh, not even one full year, I don't believe. Uh, and then we go to Kevin Stefanski at the end of last year, and uh, for all of this year, and the offense has been excellent. So it's not that not to say that he's a bad coach, uh, and I think that he can. I think he knows what it takes to run a pro, professional sports team. Given his his dad is a longtime NBA executive. Uh, Ed Stefanski. So, uh, it's not necessarily an indictment on him, but when I look at the candidates that the Cleveland Browns were looking at, they they had Josh McDaniels, uh, they had uh, who they interviewed, and from by all accounts was very interested in the job. Um, you had Eric Bieniemy, who they interviewed, uh, out in Kansas City, and you had Robert Salah, uh defensive coordinator, um from San Francisco. I just don't know how you end up with Kevin Stavansky. Um, They got, look, we, there's been a lot of talk this week about, you know, the Rooney rule and whether or not that needs an adjustment because you have guys like Eric, Eric Bien-Ami, uh who, who I, I, in my opinion, I, we're talking about where the NFL is going, you know, how we need, you know, all the hot shot offensive coach, with the hot shot quarterback, like he he should be the number one candidate on everyone's list for the last two seasons. So the fact that Eric Bianiemi doesn't have a a job when we even have a thing like the Rooney Rule, which means that every team in the league that has a coaching opening uh, is required to interview a minority candidate, why why Eric Bianiemi isn't getting interviews from all those all those franchises is uh is very strange. Um, you yeah, got the Cowboys looking at Marvin Lewis, which, look, I, I, was that a Rooney Rule interview or was that a real one? That's the things thing that we have to always ask now, which is unfortunate. But, um, I would feel sorry for the team that just went into their
0: head coaching search knowing they wanted McCarthy and were <laughs> uh, only doing Rooney Rule interviews. Like, to me, like... You went not saying, oh, McCarthy's my guy, but I'm I don't even really look at anybody else. I'm just gonna be doing this fake interview for the sake of um, you know, being in line with some rule that's a uh, – Cowboys in a sorry state. That's who they ended up with. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I'm sorry. And I'm not saying that McCarthy can't do a great job, but I'm just like if that's the situation. If like if you're putting McCarthy you, if you're so you're that high on McCarthy that a guy like Marvin Lewis who has a track record that he has doesn't even get a real look, I, I have questions
1: about the coaching evaluators with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, go ahead. But yeah, but that that was a problem in Cleveland. You end up with Kevin Stefanski. I mean, I saw Albert Salah, uh, who I would imagine also falls under the minority candidate, uh, you know, category. And his defense completely dominate. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski's offense uh, this past Sunday, and obviously I also saw Eric Biennemi drop fifty points in thirty. His offense dropped fifty points in thirty in, in uh, three quarters this past Sunday, and you end up with Kevin Stefanski. Look, they got they don't have a GM. They got Jimmy Haslam, who does not have the best track record as a as an owner. Probably has one of the worst, unfortunately. In all of pro football. Uh, you got Pete Brand from Moneyball out there right now who's running the show, which I don't know what to make of that because in baseball, he he flamed out in baseball when they gave him the multiple shots that he's had. Now he's running things for the Cleveland Browns uh, in the interim. And you end up with Kevin Stefanski. I, 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 you question whether or not this, he's just a puppet for whatever analytics thing that the Cleveland Browns are trying to do. But I don't know. Yeah, so I thinking,
0: yeah. I mean, I hope I hope he does well. Best but... hire though, I think was Ron Rivera, but I, I I can see Ron Rivera. He was that's why I didn't actually didn't mention him in in my list of guys. I wasn't excited about.
1: I don't know if it'll work because I don't know like Washington and Dan Snyder and things of that nature. But could he have the success that Shanahan had? Whatever you want to measure that as, I think so. I'd agree with that. Which they much rather have the Shanahan success than the Jay Gruden success. Most so. well, definitely. Um,
0: let's let's get to this uh, baseball stuff, though. So again, big big scandal in Major League Baseball. Um, the uh, the league has been rocked by the situation that has drastically altered uh, two of the last three World Series champions. that will be released findings from its investigation into the Houston Astros' alleged sign stealing scheme, and determined that not only was the team aware about the system to alert players. Uh, at the at the plate what pitches were coming to them by watching a center field live video feed in the dugout, but that the program was encouraged by management. Uh, Manager A.J. Hinch, who, to his credit, I guess, um, in this report, they said that he actually did not like it and had told them that he didn't like it and at one point destroyed the monitor to try to deter it, but then really didn't do anything else once they kept doing it and let it happen. He was fired. Uh, the GM... He was fired as well. He was not as, you know, contrite in his apology and stuff. But uh, And he was seen as someone who didn't really care or or was uninterested in in the issue that it was probably or definitely illegal what they were doing. So uh, they were fired. They were hit with—before they—after that, uh, before they were fired, they were hit with year-long suspensions, and then they were let go. Former bench coach uh, Alice Cora, who was on that team and then uh, became the Red Sox manager the next year and then won the World Series of the Red Sox, he was also let go. The Astros had to pay a five million dollar fine, the most allowed by within MLB rules. Uh Kendall, did you think the punishment handed down from the commissioner Rob Manford was uh too much, too little, or just right?
1: Um in terms of deterring this kind of behavior from a franchise, I, I think this was I think this was enough. You know, like it's tough to argue that they should have done less because, I mean, they didn't vacate the championship, which was a huge plus for Houston and Boston, but particularly Houston. And they they didn't vacate any wins or anything like that. But, um, like, this was a team that won a World Series. You know, like this was a very they could have they could have very easily vacated a World Series. So it's hard for you to say like, oh my gosh. You know, it's too much. Uh, but also, the people that argue that it would have been too little, or that this was too little and they should have went further, I would I would step back because some people say you got to rip the you know rip the banners off, take off the World Series, um, you know, ban them from the postseason for decades or whatever uh, whatever NCA level punishment you want a death penalty punishment you want to give. For me, I would look at these punishments were more severe than I think a lot of people realize. You know, the money, $5 million isn't chump change. You know, a lot of these franchises, especially a franchise like Houston, who's been so successful, they have $5 million, so it's not the end of the world. But in baseball, losing $5 million is $5 million off the salary cap, essentially, because there is no salary cap. So that's $5 million less than you can give to a a player uh, or to your player pool, which doesn't help. Um, but even beyond that, they lose their manager and general manager, president of baseball operations, which is a huge blow to the front office. They're gonna have to completely retool their entire system. Um, and then the most severe part of the punishment was they won't have a first, was a first and second round pick. I believe for so. For the next two seasons, they won't have a first and second round pick for the next two seasons. And if the Astros were to then say, "Look, we'll just we don't have a first round pick, we'll just sign a guy to a huge deal," so that's it's, it's, it's so that it's it's a comp, it's a compensatory pick, then that will roll over to the year after. So they're gonna lose their next two first round picks, whenever, and now they're gonna have to say to themselves, "Well, do we not sign top level free agents just so we can get rid of the the the?" The role so that we prevent the rollover of the punishment and get rid of it as soon as possible, or do we sign high-level free agents to try and st- try and stay somewhat above water, but then just completely destroy our farm system for, and, and asset base for the next five years? That's that's going to be very, very, very damaging to this team going forward. In the short term, can they still compete for a World Series? Of course, they hire the right manager, hire the right front office uh, personnel and keep this team afloat they can still win they can still win the al but 'cause because they have a lot of talent on the rosters to, uh right now but it's it's going to be damaging as well as the fact that now they can't whatever system they were using like they can't do it and it was very obvious the stuff they were doing i mean now it's come out retroactively videos of you know Pictures realizing that they could have been doing something, or you'll, you'll you, there are videos circulating the internet of, you know, uh, teams facing the Houston Astros, and you hear banging and whistling and all these types of different signals that they were allegedly using. And it's clear, like, that stuff can, they can't do it. Um, so I think this was, I think this was the right, uh, measure. Um, um look, how,
0: I want, I want to give. All of the credit in the world to Rob Manfred for stepping up and really, uh, you know, dropping a massive hammer on the Houston Astros. I agree. It is very significant. I think he did all he could do to punish the management and the organization as a whole. But he didn't go far enough. Um, and it's not really a, a super harsh criticism because I do understand that he was concerned about really taken this fight to the players association but to me players should have been suspended and to me if you found that because of the, 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 the what was clear in the findings was that this was a mostly player driven um, system and in fact you know in, in the findings again like I said before AJ Hinch kind of really wasn't all that cool with it but really kind of just after initially doing some things to explain he didn't want it, decided to just leave it alone. Um, the players were really, really the ones involved. And the fact that they don't face any punishment for flat-out cheating the game, because this is what this is, I think is kind of ridiculous. I told you, Kendall, I think that these players should be suspended for a year. Anybody who is deemed to be responsible and participating in this scheme... To cheat in a way that, and I know in baseball it's kind of like if you're not che- if you're if you're not cheating you're not trying and you know everybody's trying to get the extra you know the extra mile or get that one extra inch rather than extra mile. You know they take you give a minute to take a mile and they're trying to get that extra inch. But uh, to me this seemed like just such an absurd level of cheating that and, and the players were so they 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 schemed it up they they. They, they really kind of like concocted this crazy system. The fact that they faced no punishment, no fines, no nothing. I think that that is, to me, kind of a blemish on Manfred's handling of this. As great as I think it was. I think that he came down swift. I think he came down hard. I think that it was a timely investigation. And I think that it delivered pretty substantial punch. But I just feel like we see these, these MLB players who used steroids at a time where it was not illegal in the game, not in the Hall of Fame because they, quote-unquote, cheated the game, not being honored by Major League Baseball at all because they, quote-unquote, cheated the game. And yet we have, in a way that, one, many guys were cheating the game at the time, and two, uh, we have guys now who cheated the game in a way that was very evident and that not every other team was doing. And that was that gave them a clear, obvious advantage. That to me, like Jose Altuve, and I don't know if he was involved. I'm, I'm just mentioning the idea that MVP, all these guys, all their individual accolades, All-Star games, all that stuff. We're just gonna take that like nothing happened. To me, if these people who are keeping out Barry Bonds, keeping out Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire, all those guys who are either known steroid users or alleged steroid users, users. To me, nobody on this team should be allowed into the Hall of Fame if we're going by those rules. Because this to me is just such blatant cheating and so obvious that if you're gonna stand on your high horse and talk about the sanctity of the game, I don't know how this can't be a complete slap in the face to that. So to me for Manfred, as much as I, I did think he did a good job, I thought no player discipline I thought was was the only kind of weak part of his uh of his ruling.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, definitely a slippery slope. Uh, I, I, I mean, I tend to agree that on some level, you think players, not punishing the players, is is interesting. Um, to me,
0: especially, like if he had, if they didn't make a determination whether or not it was players driven or coaches driven, if they kind of left that vague, I almost could have understood not disciplining the players. But the idea that they wanted to make a point that the players that you saw hitting big home runs in the World Series, um, making huge plays, they those were cool guys to- were cheating. You're, you're making that clear that they were the ones that were orchestrating this cheating scheme that you're calling cheating. And they're just going to get away with it. Like, now, to me, it just doesn't make any now, sense.
1: What's more troublesome, because we talk about punishment. But a lot of times, punishment in sports, punishment in anything, is not only not only to 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 to, for lack of a better term, punish the 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 person or the the asset or whoever was the one that committed the crime, but um, but it's also a way to uh, what's the word deter. Yeah, it's also a way to deter future uh, behavior. Um, with that being said, a lot of people have brought up brought the conversation of well, if you no punishment for the players, how is this going to deter future players from doing this in the in the future? It's just now, like the steroid conversation. Like, right. at the
0: end of the day, like, well, did Barry Bonds? I, I don't. He's alleged, but I don't know. Rafael Palmeiro, who anybody who's you know confirmed <laughs> Barry Bonds never failed a drug test. Did <laughs> anybody confirmed, you know, positive test steroids, like. Can we say like, oh, did they regret using steroids? I mean, you know how much money those guys made off of the the work they did on the field that was enhanced by steroids. The MVP awards, the accolades, the fame, the 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 money. Like, of course it was worth it. Like to me, Jose Altuve again MVP. You know, a season that was that was historic and and will definitely be part of the conversation when we talk about him for the Hall of Fame at some point potentially. Yeah, it was worth it that he that they did what they did and they won a championship. All the prestige, all everything that happened. That's why I think for the for the Astros to get hit so hard, that's why it was important. Because I think you had to send a message to the Astros. Was this championship worth it? And you can still argue maybe it was, but man, that's a price. You're talking about draft picks taken away, the way you structure your team is going to have to be weird for these next few years to avoid more draft picks or, situation, or you know, being you know, more draft pick issues. Um... No, you lose your manager and your GM just flat out just gone. And, like, you just had to just pick up the pieces and figure out where to go next. Like, that wasn't nothing. That was a lot. Now, that, but I don't know cool. if he told me, like, I am I can win a World Series, but I'm going to lose all these draft picks. And my team's going to be shamed. And I'm going to lose my GM and my ma- general manager. And we now become the, the kind of forever villains of baseball. I'm a Met fan who's never seen a World Series. And we'll talk about Beltran in a second. I don't know if I'm signing up for that. I, I can't say for sure every owner is signing up for that. As a fan, no, not, I don't what? think I definitely wouldn't sign up for that. So Players, that, that's a substantial like, thing. For people, the player, I don't know if what they not getting any kind of punishment. They, and they still don't lose any money. They still get to go out and play. All the accolades that they earn, they keep. All the money that they earn is guaranteed. Like, I don't know if this is a, the deterrent that's necessary. Now,
1: you're right. But what's the deterrent of the fact that, like, the if the president of the baseball operations and the manager lose their job, not only lose their job, but... Get probably they, and maybe their, their careers. Years. I mean, there's yeah,
0: a
2: chance probably that these guys will
1: never be so, a major, on a major league team again. Because of that, this will be policed at a much more tighter level than it was in Houston. Like, even the first sniff of anything is going to get shut down because the guys that run the organization they like the first sniff and the dudes guys are going to get traded like you're out you know like it won't be allowed to this this kind of stuff won't be allowed to be run rampant in their program you know and that that's where i think that this was the deterrent for this kind of future behavior
0: Uh, that's and that's that is that's i think the the what baseball is looking at what major league baseball is deciding with doing this and i totally get that and again I don't want to slam them, but I think that they were pretty courageous, to be honest, to put this just to stiff arm <laughs> on the Astros. I mean, it was this was not nothing. I just think that there was one more level that really would have dropped the true hammer, and they didn't go there. And it was, within, <laughs> that, that and, and would... I, think, I think, it was, I think it was the only thing they lacked a little bit of courage in in regards to this situation because they didn't have the courage to stand up to the players association and say no, your guys are cheats. They've ruined the sanctity of our game and they should be punished for it. Like they didn't want to have that legal battle, the money it would take, the time it would take, how much it would drag the story on. I get it. I just I, I can't agree with it. And that's why I I feel how I feel. Um but what about Beltran? Because the we know obviously Cora who was um who was the bench coach who helped who was really helped organize this thing. He got fired or, quote-unquote, parted ways mutually with the Boston the uh, Red Sox. So they're now in a situation where they're looking for a manager. The Mets' new manager is Carlos Beltran, who was the only player named in this um, investigation. He was essentially the ringleader of the whole thing. That's the way it reads. Though it's kind of weird because some people are saying, well, he was the only one named because he's the only no. guy that's— that's retired that was involved and therefore they named him but they weren't naming any current players so it's it's it, it could read that he was a ringleader i could also read it as a way of this he's just being named because he was among he was there he was there and he's no longer playing there or playing anywhere so therefore they feel free to just speak about someone either way is obviously is a just a terrible terrible look for the new york mets He's a new manager I think a lot of fans and the team is excited about. And now there's this massive cloud hanging over the franchise. A huge huge uh, peer pressure
1: because the la- the other two teams... They took uh, a stand.
0: Right, they took a stand and said this was, you know, obviously the Astros in some ways, like, they got punished and they were like, well, you brought all this onto us. Now you're, gonna, you're not welcome here anymore. But even the Red Sox, who have yet to see any punishment though that could be coming as this investigation continues, um, they were immediate. They were like, yep, nope, Cora, you're gone. Like, we're done. So the Mets, again, like you said, are facing pressure to say, okay, well, the other two teams got rid of the cheaters named in this thing. What about you guys? Will you name the cheaters? Will you get rid of the cheater that was named in this uh, report? I'm torn on what the Mets should do. Yeah. As, as you know, I'm a Mets fan, and people who listen, I'm a Mets fan, and— I'm also a huge Carlos Beltran fan as a, just as a, as a player. So I don't want that to cloud how I feel about this. To me, one thing I will say is the Mets have to make a decision one way or another. Are they in or are they out? They cannot think that they could just run out the clock and think that this won't be a problem. They got to decide that we're either going to stick with him and say that he made a mistake and this is the past and we're going to move on. Or they gotta say we're done and we're cutting bait. This no comment, and we're just gonna let everybody twist in the wind and just pretend nothing's happening. I know, the Instagram they're posting, you know, Jake DeGrom's first game ever, and I'm like, nobody cares about this right now. I love Jake DeGrom. Everybody loves Jake DeGrom. That's not <laughs> what we should be focusing on. What is the situation with our manager? I, my gut tells me they gotta get rid of him, and and that is not easy for me to say because how much I love. Beltron as a player and me being a Mets fan but I just don't see to me whatever he would bring as a manager I just think it's it's now going to be overshadowed by this baggage he now comes with I also feel like baseball managers overall are kind of overrated like I think that you can get anybody who knows the game that can who knows the game knows people and knows kind of the inner workings of a clubhouse and they can manage i don't know if that necessarily has to be a former player a non-former player analyst guy a non-analyst guy i think uh, so many of these teams now are really literally just going off the stats on what to do that the manager in some ways has kind of been neutered in their abilities to kind of show any agency in running their team especially in terms of infield on you know on field decisions so with beltron i understand that he that people feel like he has a great mind for the game he's a great teacher and they think that he has a bright future
1: in baseball. <laughs> course, uh, I, I just. Alice Cora say, he, uh, he pays attention to detail. Right. <laughs> Which is very, that was, all this stuff is shady, man. Yeah. It's like, you
0: hear this stuff and I'm just like, none of this, none of what he brings is worth having to talk about this for however long he's a mess manager. It just isn't. For a team that already kind of has, always kind of feels like they have a dark cloud hovering over them anyway. This is just not needed. I feel like he should resign. Um, if he doesn't resign, I think the Mets should decide to fire him. But the Wilpons—look, man—as sad as it is, the Wilpons—they—they they don't just give guys, sign guys to contracts, and then just rip them up and just be like, "All right, we're done." Like they—they—they're paying him millions, and I'm sorry, that's going to be part of the conversation about whether or not they move on from him. I don't think this there's any way they could go into their contract and say he somehow I avoided it and therefore they don't gotta pay him so I idea that they just hired a manager without well, him doing one thing They're just gonna say go away and write him a 20-30 million dollar check that seems unbelievable This even though the situation is so drastic that's how much the Mets care about their spending so I'm gonna say they should get rid of him I don't think they will I think they're gonna try to ride this out Cause they, cause I think they would have done it already. I think the fact that they're sitting around waiting all the time is to me them really, really wanting to move forward. I think it's because the 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 front office really personally likes Beltron. and I don't. I think they want to stand behind him, and I don't think they want to cut him a check just to be you know grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> I, I think that they want him to actually do the job. They don't want to just. They don't want to. You no, know, this to me would almost be them just like you know writing off like you know a settlement for something they didn't do like they had nothing to do with anything that happened and the idea that they feel like they got to just write off a check because the Astros screwed up like i don't think i think from, i think they're going to rationalize it to feel like that wouldn't make sense and we're not going to do that
1: uh it's interesting I, 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 part of me feels the opposite in that them being deafeningly quiet suggests that they may be Getting ready to do something, you know. I you wonder if they would have jumped but, on. But like the, the
0: only thing they can do is fire. Him. So like, what are they waiting for? Like that's the thing I don't understand that like, you say they're waiting eight. to do something. It's like do what? There's either fire him or you don't fire him. They what also is this, this waiting
1: game? Trying to get their legal ducks in a row, kind of trying to, you know, get their PR ducks in a row. I mean, Boston was quick, uh but I think Boston was also probably a little more prepared for this being a thing than I think the Mets were because the Mets hired this guy. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, clearly they didn't think that any, there was anything there. The, the argument came be Beltran that... told them was a lie, yeah. which was also problematic. So I look, I, I don't want of Beltran to lose a job. You know, I feel like this is very unfortunate timing. I would, would have liked to have seen him be the guy I and mean, he still may be the guy. Um, I could go. I could definitely see though how like there is massive peer pressure now that the the Red Sox and Astros, two teams with World Series winning managers, decided to part ways with their guys. Uh, the Mets, it's <laughs> Beltran hasn't done anything. He hasn't won anything at any level um, as a manager. It's hard for me to. It's hard for me to say they'll keep him. But we also have to think about who does this impact the most because I think. Given we're so close to spring training, like I think the Astros and the Red Sox, because you mentioned the 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 impact that a major league manager has, which isn't tremendous, I think they could be fine because they have such high talent, they have such a high level of talent on their roster that they can they'll hire a vet, a Buck Showalter, a Dusty Baker. But well, here's a, the, thing. the thing: remember
0: Terry uh, Terry Collins is supposed to be on this staff, so. With the that, Mets. Yeah, everyone's already kind of saying, just throw Terry Collins just right back into the mix as the well, manager. That clownery, man. That, but, it's the Mets. What can we say? That, you know? that's, that's that, the, yeah, but sadly, that's the sadly, That's the, that's
1: the Mets. session plan, and good luck. But, and not to say Terry Collins was the worst, but really going back to a guy you just fired a couple years ago. Um, but that's where I'm like, the Mets, they'll have a tougher time transitioning, I think. And you bring up the, an, an interesting point with Terry Collins, but it's still uh, more problematic to switch managers this late in the game when you don't have that high level of talent uh, than a team like Boston or Houston. I mean, it's just, I, I
0: see both sides, though. I see, like, to, the idea that you're going to throw, you know, Eduardo Perez in the air with, you know, having not prepared for this, Training him, not prepared for anything. That's That could be a tall ask. Um, for any manager who's not involved, especially someone like Perez who hasn't managed an managed MLB, MLB before, but a- any of these veteran managers who they may also look at. I-, I see some of the rationale behind Collins only because he's managed here before. He knows everything with the team. The team wouldn't know what to expect from him. Like, I could see how that could be enticing and just be easy, especially since he's probably gonna be around anyway. But I, I agree. It's, I, I also see the idea that man, like you're firing a guy that you fired a couple of years ago. But at the end of the day, he's the only guy that's brought to any success in a really long time. So uh, I know I don't know. It's it's kind of um, it's kind of tough to it's kind of tough to you know go with either way, but. It's a uh, it's a mess, and and that's not surprising because the Mets, you know, typically are in this kind of uh, perpetual state. Okay, Kendall, let's do flames and trash. Actually, want to let you go first for
1: flames. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, for flames this week, EJ, I'm going with the Egg Bowl. Um, okay. People may be wondering, what's the Egg Bowl? Like, is it a college football bowl that I'm missing? Uh, is it is a rivalry game in college football between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, the Egg Bowl this year was trash. Uh, you know, it was a very weird game that ended in uh, Ole Miss. You know, uh, literally peeing themselves out of <laughs> bowl out of bowl eligibility. But that's a whole other conversation. But um, yes, yeah, so it was a very very well poorly played game. Um, but both programs ultimately now fast forward to uh, January fifteenth have. Let go of their head coaches, Matt Luke at uh, Ole Miss, uh, was fired shortly after that game. And Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State was fired after their bowl game. And both programs have now subsequently hired uh, their replacements. And their replacements are are why uh, the Egg Bowl, this new rivalry, or not new rivalry, this old standing rivalry in Mississippi, uh, is... Flames Because Ole Miss hired Lane Kiffin, who we talked about earlier in the show, could certainly be a character. Uh, My guy, Lane Kiffin, would have been a big backer of Lane Kiffin, but um, certainly an interesting hire and interesting fit at Ole Miss. But then you couple that with the fact that Mississippi State goes off the board, out of the region, and hires Mike Leach all the way out in Pullman, Washington from Washington State, who may be the only other guy who's a bigger character and a bigger knucklehead than Lane Kiffin. So you have arguably the two biggest characters in college football now that Steve Spurrier is no longer active. Um, Arguably two two biggest uh, characters in college football in the same conference, in the same state, in the same division, going up against each other at pretty comparable programs. Uh, That should make for a very, very interesting uh, couple of years, depending on how long these coaches last which I'm not sure will be that long.
0: And that is fair because uh, Mississippi and, and Mississippi State, as we talked about, we had all drawn on top of the show, so it was kind of fitting. I mean, it, it's tough to win there. The, expectation, the expectations the, don't make any sense considering they're in a division with Alabama and LSU, but not yet. Nonetheless, there will be
1: expectations. And if you do win there, you're looking for the first, the first, the first exit to get the, the heck out of there. So, so they, it's the NFL or or a, a blue blood, right? We've seen it,
0: right? So it makes sense. But these are two interesting, uh, entertaining characters. So um, it will be fun to see how they uh, how they navigate this rivalry. My flames this week is Marshawn Lynch. Um, Lynch obviously came out of retirement to play for the Seattle Seahawks in this playoff run. They lost this weekend, and Lynch who's always well, I can't say always. When he he doesn't speak often, but when he does, he can be an interesting quote. And I thought that he had one of the more interesting sound bites of his career this um, after the game this uh, this weekend. So I'm actually gonna let you uh, listen to it right now, and I want you guys to uh, listen and check it out. I
2: say like this though, right? It's a vulnerable time for a lot of these young dudes. You feel me? They don't be taking care of their chicken, right? You feel me? So if it was me. Or if I had an opportunity to let these little uh, young sahibs know something, I say take care of y'all money, African, because that shit don't last forever. Now, I done been on the other side of a retirement, and it's good when you get over there and you can do what you want to. So I tell y'all right now while y'all in it, take care of y'all bread. So when y'all done, you go ahead and take care of yourself. So while y'all at it right now, take care of y'all bodies. You know what I mean, don't Take care of y'all chicken. You feel me, don't take care of y'all mentals because, look, we ain't lasting that long. Um, You know, I had a couple players that I played with that, you know what I mean, they no longer here no more. They no longer. So, I mean, you feel me, start taking care of y'all mentals, y'all bodies, and y'all chicken for when y'all, you know, ready to walk away. You walk away and you be able to do what you want to do. But I appreciate it. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good day. I'm a big fan of
0: chicken. Um, obviously yeah, take the obviously the, the the very uh west coast and black slang um may have gotten beyond some people who don't know what he was talking about but i to me seeing the, un, the 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 just downfall of antonio brown i don't even want to go into what he was going getting into this weekend because i think at this point just promoting what he does is uh is to a detriment to him yeah, and yeah a
1: to to the A-B, uh, the A B versus
0: Logan Paul fight? No, no, yeah. That, that's the last that would be my last reference to A B on this show. But um with the he stuff he's doing with um Luke keekley and his uh his retirement, shout out to him. He's uh to me an easy, easy first ballot Hall of Famer and him leaving the game at age. Well, how about
1: we get my guy uh Patrick Willis in
0: there, man? Another guy who also I mean Kendall, someone made the case and I thought it was extremely sad. Willis and 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 uh keekley probably two of the best middle linebackers of the last 10 15 years yeah I would say both the two guys years. didn't make it to age their age 30 season yeah that's just I mean that yeah. says a lot and we see well, you think I, about I, Andrew can't... luck as well taking care of your body taking care of your mental state knowing in and and appreciating your happiness, making sure your financial situation is right. It's a message that a lot of these young guys definitely need to know, definitely need to hear. And Marshawn Lynch doesn't speak often. Sometimes he likes to play around and clown around when he does. But I thought for what could be the last time we see him in front of a microphone, knowing him. I mean, I know he last time he retired, he was doing a lot of fun stuff and doing you
1: know TV, and, TV stuff, and stuff,
0: but who knows? I mean, you know, Marshawn is a very reserved dude, and he may decide to just—if he just disappeared—that wouldn't surprise me. If that's the last time we hear from him in a microphone, it's certainly very well be the last time we hear from him in an NFL setting. For that to be his last statement, I thought was extremely powerful. Massive, massive shout out to Marshawn Lynch for an incredible career and and just being one of just the dopest characters in I've ever followed in the NFL in my life watching so shout out to Marshawn Lynch that was a great message and he's my uh flames this week who do you got for trash
1: trash this week uh I had uh two candidates it was tough to pick I'll go quickly on the first uh Missouri State football uh they had a, they had a coaching opening their last two the, the, the two candidates that they were considering were Art Bryles and Bobby Petrino they ended up picking Bobby Petrino so Pretty self-explanatory on that one, but um, the other candidate is Roy Williams, and that, that's that's a sad one, man, because I, I don't like, I like Roy Williams, I don't like to call him trash because he's an all-time great uh, college basketball coach, um, one of the five best out there right now in terms of track record, but it's been a tough week and a half for Roy Williams, man, I'm not going to lie, and obviously North Carolina Uh, Has struggled we've talked about this before You know they lost Cole Anthony and Right now they started off conference play I believe one and four in the ACC Just lost to Clemson At home for the first time in school history First time since 1928 or something like that Um, They've I mean they've rattled off three Or uh, four straight losses in the ACC uh, uh, To start this, this, This new session in conference Play uh and again like I said they lost Cole Anthony so the team has been awful they're not gonna make the NCAA tournament that kind of goes without saying at this point point. and Roy Williams before the loss of Clemson uh whoever they lost it before that Georgia Tech I think it was he said after that game he said this is probably the least gifted team I've ever coached uh since I've been back at North Carolina um he then after he lost to Clemson I believe it was after the loss. They've lost so many times. I don't remember when he said each thing, but he's just been a very he's been a very down state. And after the loss to Clemson, he said, uh, they should probably just fire me at this point because I'm not a good coach and I'm doing a terrible job and they should probably just fire me. Um, yeah, you know, I guess I got to fire Mike Krzyzewski too because he lost to Clemson yesterday. <laughs> fair enough. He lost to Clemson. Yeah. I mean, he lost to Clemson. so. You know, a lot of it would be two new old job openings in Tobacco Road. But it's just very bizarre to hear Roy Williams talking like this. You know, a lot of people did not like the the least gifted comment. He's probably right, but it's, you probably don't need to say that to Roy Williams. You know, like, this is a team dealing with injury. These guys are trying their hardest. They're playing their hardest. And I guess maybe that's what he's saying. Is that Look, they're trying their hardest. It's just not that good. But <laughs> there's a better way you can say that, Roy. And the, the thing about firing me, I mean, it is what it is, but... He, I don't know if he sounds like a guy that really wants to. I don't want to say he doesn't want to be there long term, but thinks he's going to be there long term for whatever reason. He may. He sounds very, very defeated, and I've never really heard a Hall of Fame coach like this talk like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put too much stock in it, only because I do feel like coaches. Man, they live and die with their teams and game to game. And when you're a coach like Roy, who's used to winning all the time, and now you're losing a lot, you will be dramatic. And to me, honestly, he sounds like someone who he uh, probably knows very well. He may have even coached with at some point. I think he did coach with at some point. Uh, He sounds like Larry Brown. Larry Brown was very much the same way. Like, uh, you lose, uh, trade everybody, I'm the worst coach. They, and they when they win, he was like the happiest guy in the world. Like you know, like they lived and died with, uh, with their teams and and game to game. So he's being dramatic. I get it. I think I think the first comment about the you know least gifted thing was a little bit of deflection of blame. And I think honestly, then him then saying fire me, I think was also then him kind of maybe having some. I think even if it wasn't conscious, subconscious guilt for throwing his team under the bus, and then. Accepting some blame for what's been a, a rough season. No, I think all of us understand what's happened. And I think we all understand. Um, now we <laughs> really all understand. We're out one player and the one yeah, player. Yeah, right. And I think, to be honest, I feel like anybody who really looked at the situation knew they were overrated. Like, they should have been ranked, yeah. whatever, whatever they were ranked at the start of the season. They were vastly overrated. So, their name, they got that ranking through their name. And to me, if you told me they didn't have Cole Anthony and it was going to be the same, just the rec- other dudes that they have, no one else, before the year started, I would think their record would be whatever it is now, 8-7, and seven, something like that. So, uh, it is what it is, you know? I don't know. What, do you, do you think
1: Roy Williams would will be there long-term?
0: But long-term What's long-term? Eight,
1: not here, 10 years, but will he be there in the next two years? Yeah. Because that, that, I'm, that I'm questioning. I'm questioning whether he'll be there next season. It's, it's, a long, it's been a long season. I'm sure there's been trying. But
0: I thought to wait to the, the way the effort he put in to get Cole Anthony tells me that he's not done.
1: Yeah, they have a big recruiting class coming in next year, but uh, you can
0: kind of tell when like coaches you, you can kind of tell when a coach is going through the motions when he's kind of mentally and physically done. I, again, Roy didn't Roy hasn't displayed that at any point other than just being depressed by his team being bad. But I think that again, I, I he's he, had a long career. He could definitely retire
1: tomorrow if he wanted to. But I just I, I don't think he's done yet. Ian Smith. You know, I, I don't. We'll see. Uh, he's he's at a, he's at the Pete Bell stage of his career. Pete Bell before he got Butch McRae uh, and Neon Boudot and Ricky Rowe in Blue Chips. If for those who haven't seen that movie, um,
0: I want to I want to do the uh, Flames now, and I don't want to do this. Oh, trash. I, I said I, I said I want. I I to. Yeah, sorry, trash. I had uh, my trash this week. I don't want to do this, but. The team just makes me, makes me do it. They put me in these situations. <coughs> the New York Knicks are trash this week, but it's not the team. Though the team has not played all that well either. Um, I went to LA, saw them lose twice. They were on a five-game losing streak. They snapped that with a really strong win against the Heat, and then got their doors blown off by the Bucks last night. But I'm actually referring more to the Knicks' PR, entertainment staff, whatever, whoever does the halftime stuff. They're the people I'm more targeting these aisles with and saying that they're flash, they're, they're, they're trash this week because they had what all these teams and all these arenas do. You have, you know, these contests in between timeouts and at halftime, and, of course, you do the classic half-court shot. So this guy, Anthony Peterson, was picked out of the stands to participate in one of these contests, and he ended up having to take a half-court shot. He made it great, unbelievable moment. He's running up and down. He's he's doing all these dancings. He's doing the whoa. He's doing the, the you know the the millie Rock. You know he, he he's doing he's doing millie rock rather sorry. Uh, you know it's it's a great moment until you learn what the prize was for making a half court shot in front of twenty five thirty thousand people in the world's greatest arena. Anthony Peterson got one thousand dollars. In scratch-off tickets. <laughs> Not just $1,000. $1,000 in scratch-off tickets. And the Action Network, shout out to them. They caught up with Anthony Peterson to fig- figure out how he feel when he learned that this was his prize. <laughs> I'm laughing reading this quote. But he was like, um, well, when they said scratch us, I instantly got a headache because I was going to have to scratch them all off. I thought about who I could hire to do it for me, then figured they might want some of the money. So I negated that idea. I sort of was like, what the F, man? Some dude just won $100,000 doing the same ish in L.A., and I get some bum-ass lottery tickets. Still a blessing, though. So I guess at the end, at least he's on the price side. Also, shout out to this dude. Like, if there was any doubt this guy was a New Yorker, that's gone after reading that quote. You you drop a dead ass or what do you a bum ass rather in 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 your um in your comment like that's clear okay this guy's in New York like I read the quote and I was like I don't need to know anymore but now to give some more context at least shoot them some bail this was part of a a promotion with New York Lottery and the guy had to spin a wheel and whatever he had to do was going to be determined by this wheel the prize was predetermined. But like he could have, all all he had to do was just make a bunch of layups, and he just got unlucky and had to hit a half court shot. Nonetheless, I just got to make the Knicks trash because like they just keep doing this stuff to themselves. And and, it's like, funny. 20- whose idea was it to think that it would be smart to do this lame prize? Like lottery had to New York City, New York Lottery had to pitch it to you at some point, and no one in their department, whoever handles this, thought like. A guy makes a half court shot and only gets a thousand dollars in tickets. <laughs> like that might look kind of yeah, that's a PR nightmare. That, that 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 could that that like that doesn't make any sense. Like that doesn't equate. Especially as he mentioned, uh someone had recently just won. He said eleven thousand. He said a uh, hundred thousand dollars in L.A. I don't know if it was that much. No, oh, yeah, the guy did win a hundred thousand dollars in L.A. um A kid from Louisville got thirty eight thousand dollars. And and in fairness to the Knicks, one more time, uh, apparently. Uh, you know, last season, a guy won $10,000 for getting an half a half-court shot at the MSG. That was through a different sponsor, Chase. Obviously, Chase, you know, Chase got, you know, clearly more likely to want to give out more bread than New York Lottery, even though that's literally the only thing they're supposed to do. Right. Uh I don't wait, know. Wait, I, I just, to me, is, uh, this is just wait, ridiculous. Because I'm just like, at what point, like, this team just remains, they can't keep themselves out of headlines for pure stupidity. And, like... I'm I'm just tired of them being a laughing stock and I don't know what it's gonna take for them to get and, in this hump, but it it's just funny seems part like story. this is just like inevitable.
1: The, the the funniest part of the story is that uh the guy said that he ultimately only only ended up with five hundred and seventy bucks.
0: Yes, exactly. He didn't even get to a thousand. Yeah, the, the overall number he was trying to get to.
1: It was you just know, a complete You didn't hit any debacle. jackpot you know you think they would have at least rigged it so that like, he would have gotten you know yeah 20, don't you
0: they should have thrown in a couple of
1: obvious ones that would have gave him then that would have that would you don't want to never want to you know rig a lottery system obviously but that you want to talk about like branding and stuff like if you put like oh yeah the guy won thousand dollars in scratch-offs and he won 25,000 right. on one yeah. of the scratch-offs like now people are gonna say oh and i gotta buy you know start, right yeah, oh, uh, market from a marketing standpoint, like the, yeah. the bank.
0: Like to me, it just showed me never do scratch offs. Right. <laughs> like
2: exactly. to me, I'm just
0: like, okay, so like, now, like this guy spent a thousand dollars and he only got five hundred seventy-eight thousand. That was a, a terrible bargain. Like that would make like he ended up losing money. That was stupid. And he like, lost half the money he got. Right. So the only Dude, thing that the only no way he, the only reason why he got that money is because he had he made a half-court shot.
1: <laughs> like. Right.
0: It, so, a regular person, I would never want to do the lottery and told me how much of a, of a joke it is. So, it was just a mess all around. I, I don't know. I'm at a loss of words. Knicks, you guys are trash this week. Let's wrap up the show. Kind of what we got for Kendall's
1: Court. Yeah, so for Kendall's Court, uh, I was wrestling with this one because I was going to make it. Part of me wanted to make it flames. Part of me wanted to make it trash. So, I figured just, just go Kendall's Court. But... Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame this week uh, announced their, this weekend, announced their, um, you know, their centennial class uh, was revealed in full this week. But during the weekend, we got uh, the 15 man class decided by the, you know, whatever guru committee they put up, you know, Bill Belichick and John Clayton and Sal Palantonio and just but a bunch of, you know, Ozzie's, Ozzie Newsome, a bunch of kind of random football heads. Put them in a room, let them decide uh, what guys should be on this class. This is not considering modern era players; those guys will be in the regular Hall of Fame class 2020. This is the quote-unquote centennial class of 15, and they had a long list of finalists. Uh, and they ended up with a uh, a 15. We saw uh, it was going to be try; it was going to be flames for me, EJ, uh, because we saw this week. Um, you know, this weekend during the two playoff games, Bill Cowher and Jimmy Jimmy Johnson get inducted or get uh, 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 getting get picked and get finding out about their their induction into the Hall of Fame uh, live, which is very cool. Being surprised by uh, big David Baker from President of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is very interesting. That dude is
0: six foot nine, four hundred
1: pounds. Yes, huge guy. That guy very is great. massive. That guy, he should be playing now. Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> yeah, you could you could do better than some offensive linemen, I've seen. Yeah. Uh but but yeah, so it was a this was a, a very interesting interesting crop. Let me let me run through the names real quick. Uh I mentioned Jimmy Johnson and uh and Bill Cower. Uh but we also got Paul Tagliabue. we got um who did we get Cliff Cliff Harris. Um, sorry to find a whole list of these guys, but uh, George Young is the GM of the uh, New York Giants. Steve Sable from NFL Films. We got some good names, but my issue with this EJ is they announced it during a show. They made some some big grandstanding show, and on NFL Network, that it was Good Morning Football. which style to them. I want to call them a grandstanding show. This is a good show, but you you make it this big event. We're gonna announce the fifteen. Uh, you have these two guys getting surprised on TV earlier. The issue I have is that they had already announced a list of finalists for the for this class of Hall of Famers uh, last month in December. So it was a list of 30 guys or whatever it was, 30, 40 guys, 25 guys. They were going to cut it down to 15. Like, we end up happening what happened with Drew Pearson? Dallas Cowboys mm-hmm. legendary wide receiver, uh, multiple time Super Bowl winner, uh, All Decade wide receiver in the 1970s. He was watching. He was watching live. He's been snubbed from the Hall of Fame for the last 20, 30 years. He's been watching, or he he's he was watching at at his house with all his family, had a had a a party essentially, and he didn't get picked and it was embarrassing and he went on i want to say a rant but you know he was very frustrated it was very public he had a lot of media there and it was it was very sad to watch and ultimately like you can't have this this huge show like this have all these finalists and not expect the poor pr that the pro football Fame got from the drew Pearson situation like don't put out a list of finalists and not let those people get in i understand you know it's not a we're just gonna. It's not a participation trophy. You're not just gonna put everybody in the Hall of Fame. You're not gonna put everyone that's ever a finalist in the Hall of Fame. But you're gonna have this class of 15 guys, and not to mention a lot of the guys that they picked. No disrespect to everyone that they picked, but a lot of the guys that they picked were were guys that ultimately like played in like the 1920s, like Duke Slater. Played with the Milwaukee Badgers and the Rock Island Independent. I Look, I'm sure he probably deserves some level of recognition in the story of football, but it's—I mean—I don't know. I don't know. I just—I don't know. I don't know how much I like this idea when you're leaving off guys like Tom Flores again. You're leaving off Drew Pearson. You're, you're leaving off uh, Harold Carmichael. Did make it from Philly, but. You're leaving off uh art model, which some people are happy about, some people are upset about. Depending if you're a Ravens fan or a Browns fan. But a lot of a lot of I don't know. It's just just poor PR by decision by the NFL. And it was good PR with great PR with the Jimmy Johnson and the Tower stuff, but they just completely ignored the other side of it. Which was very unfortunate.
0: Yeah. It's tough because, you know, I, I would argue that, man, those moments um, with Coward and Jimmy Johnson was some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Massive shout out to Jimmy Johnson. Um, obviously, me being a Miami Hurricanes fan, knowing what he means to the U, um, seeing him get the Pro Football Hall of Fame, finally getting that recognition for his work with the Cowboys, well-deserved. But I agree, you know, man, I I felt even emotional seeing Drew Pearson. uh, Sitting there, all the people around him, supposed to be a big party, they think, because he's going to get finally into the Hall of Fame. And for him to be like, man, they did it to me again. And like this, like it just kind of added for him to the embarrassment of being the only player in the All Decade team in the 70s, not in the Hall of Fame, despite everything he did for the Cowboys and how much of a superstar The only All Decade
1: receivers never make it.
0: Yeah. the, 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 just the superstar that he was for the Cowboys and the leader, the captain, the clutch player. Um, it it, it it definitely does leave a sour taste in my mouth. I'll be honest, though. I mean, as much as I love the finding the guy live on TV and telling him he's going in the Hall of Fame, I I think this whole thing is ridiculous. I don't like that there's, like, 100 people getting in. I don't like that it's just some random committee this year that's putting the guys in the Hall of Fame. I, I just think this whole thing is kind of a sham. And, and-, and I don't I have no beef with anyone who got in. Everyone that's gotten in, I think they deserve it, and I'm really happy for them. But I just feel like I don't understand because it's a hundredth year. We're gonna just change the rules all of a sudden, and still net like guys in who have been long overdue. Like it, I think it's kind of been a trash process in total, except for
1: the uh, the guys. Uh, you know, yeah, don't give me a, don't give me a, f- a list of final uh, reactions. Yeah. You're gonna have fifty guys make it. Don't give me a list of. Of course, Drew Pearson would have still been upset, but once you make him a, a finalist, like now it's like, all right, I'm a real candidate. If you just say we're picking fifteen guys, hopefully he makes it, hopefully he doesn't, that's one thing. But why are we why are we even narrowing they're only doing that to get to catch eyeballs. To let people know it's happening. Which alright. But don't don't be surprised when people are gonna be very upset when they don't make it. Cause the nature of this 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 award, the nature of this selection was going to be guys essentially that have been passed over for thirty years anyway. Like, it's not like you're surprising Troy Polamalu, or you're surprising Ed Reed or some guy. Like, you're surprising, like, guys who have already, or guys in their families, if you're talking about the guys who played in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, but you're surprising guys and their families that, you know, have been passed over for decades. Now you're just going to embarrass them by having this huge grandstanding show. Now, I'm not saying Drew Pearson, he didn't have to have a party didn't have to have a bunch of people, you know, didn't have to have it on camera, you know, but it's still, it's still unfortunate. So I, I can't give the NFL a full flames for that, but I won't give them a full trash either.
0: All right. I think that's the final word. Shout out to Kendo for a great segment. Shout out to you guys, the listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. Again, make sure you, you can find all of our podcasts on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you've not already, definitely, definitely, definitely check out our own podcast with uh, Coach Nick Hosselman from Basketball Breakdown. That was a really awesome basketball conversation. I know we didn't really talk any basketball today. If you want to get your basketball fill, it's already up on YouTube, on SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in. It is also up on YouTube. We did a video version of it as well that is uh that is one of our we've done video podcasts before but we haven't done it in a while and you know it's one of the things i'm hoping could maybe squeeze in a little bit more especially with interviews this is our first uh, you know video interview podcast we've ever done so that was really exciting and i think it came out pretty good and as we uh as we continue to do more of these i think we have you know more in the bag potentially we're gonna uh we're even get better at them but um definitely check that out our youtube channel is new generation media um, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, at New Generation Pod. On Instagram, at New Generation Podcast. And on, um, and uh, where else are we? Oh, Facebook, New Generation Media, if I didn't say that. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah, I did it. I did it all. I don't know why I lost myself just now. <laughs> um, you can follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ, thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. But, uh, for Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.